0: Shut up, and sit down.
1: You're listening to The Bridge. Keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John Lund. Hello everyone, you're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast bringing you this sports show. What's it like covering Major League Baseball for CBS Sports? We'll get into that and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve. On episode 61 of The Bridge. Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome back to another installment of The Bridge, coming to you live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, to bring you the best and brightest of the sports world. That's right, The Bridge is live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, though the show is technically pre-recorded. If you do miss the live show, the podcast version of The Bridge is available 48 hours after the initial broadcast. Which means you can find the newest episode on iTunes or on my website at londonbridge.com on Friday nights. I'll save all the ways you can listen to The Bridge and where you can find the show until the end of this latest installment. If anything, you can call in or text into the show 24 7 at 929 Bridge 7. That's 929 274 3437. Contact the show with your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. All right, let's get into the fun stuff. Give me the siren. North Carolina won the national championship by beating Gonzaga in one of the ugliest championship games you'll ever see. But as par tradition, the night ended with the one shining moment montage and the sweet, sweet sounds of Luther Vandross to highlight the tournament. However, another tradition that has quietly happened at the tournament over the past decade came to an end, and the sports media might be to blame. It's time for the number one news anchor parody segment in sports radio. Here's this week's edition of Sports News Read Like Real News. A tradition unlike any other, the Masters on CBS. That sacred phrase from sportscaster Jim Nance is a tradition in itself and has been the tease for the Masters for the past several years. But Nance has quietly taken part in his own personal tradition for the past several years as well while broadcasting at the NCAA Tournament Championship. That is, until the sports media ruined the moment. While the new champions are awarded their trophies and players and coaches are interviewed following the title game, another award has quietly been presented to a player, usually a senior, that inspires both on and off the court. That recipient is selected by Nance, who then presents the player with his game-worn suit tie. Although an article of clothing may seem like a silly accolade to a college basketball player after winning a national championship, the gesture has more behind it than Nance just undressing on the court. In the book Nance wrote about the relationship with his father, he noted of the informal boyhood rite of passage of having your dad teach you how to tie a tie. And if my father is listening, I still don't know how. Coupled with his moments of watching presidents give away their cufflinks on the golf course or like a star athlete might throw his sweaty headband into the stands, Nance uses his ties as keepsakes if the situation is right. In 2006, while Nance was covering the Final Four for CBS, The storyline for the finals centered around some Florida players who had famous fathers in the sports world. Nance ended up interviewing another player, Corey Brewer, and found out his father was in the hospital and could not make the trip to the championship game. He would wish Mr. Brewer well during the broadcast, then ended up giving Corey his tie after the game to remember the weekend. When Florida returned to the Final Four the following year, Nance asked another player just what Corey Brewer had done with the tie. When he found out it was hanging in his locker, a tradition, definitely unlike any other, was born. Since then, Nance has continued the gesture. Kyle Singler got one when Duke won in 2010, and Quinn Cook got it when they won again five years later. Darius Miller has won from Kentucky's 2012 championship. And rumors are that Mario Chalmers and Ty Lawson also received ties, though Nance can't recall all of the players he's presented them to. The tie presentation has all but gone unnoticed by the national media for almost a decade. That is, until last year. When Nance awarded his necktie to Villanova senior Ryan Archidiacono, After last year's title game, cameras caught the exchange, which prompted an on-court interview with Nance and became a topic of discussion during the post-game interview with Villanova. Stories were written that tore Nance to shreds for being a weirdo or a psychopath, and the meaning of the moment was usually lost. Hell, even Archie Diacono, who let his roommate wear the tie out the next night, has said the tie is now somewhere in his house thrown along with his other saved Final Four items. So this year, as the Tar Heels celebrated, Nance remained fully clothed. In a phone interview with USA Today Sports, he decided it should be a private moment and was never meant to receive so much national attention. However, the tradition isn't dead quite yet. Nance also said that he might write a note and send a tie or call one of the North Carolina players. That is, once he's done broadcasting, his second favorite tradition, unlike any other. I'm John Lund, for sports news read like real news. Let's take a quick break to learn how to tie a tie. When we come back, we'll talk some Major League Baseball with this week's guest. We'll be right back on the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. As you heard earlier in the show, you can call in or text in to The Bridge at 929-BRIDGE7. That's 929-274-3437. Leave a voicemail or text in your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. Now, we do like to pose a question each show to help give you the urge to call in or text in to The Bridge. This week, we want to know who will win this year's World Series and why. As we've already alluded to, North Carolina did win this year's national championship on the men's side, and shockingly enough, UConn did not win on the women's side. But we're not going to dwell on that for this week. Baseball season has indeed arrived, and we were able to chat with Matt Snyder, an MLB writer for CBS Sports, about that. Matt has an interesting path in getting to become a baseball writer so we'll talk about that being a Cubs fan while also covering them winning the World Series how he'd vote for the Hall of Fame and perhaps best of all the best stadium foods and promotions you can find in 2017 and yeah we'll talk about this season as well you can follow Matt on Twitter he's at Matt Snyder CBS and without further ado let's get into that interview We're here with Matt Snyder. He is a baseball writer for CBS Sports. Matt, thanks for joining the show. How are you? I'm great. You know, it's baseball
0: season, and uh, early in the year, it's the season for perpetual hope. Every team thinks that they have a shot, or maybe every team outside San Diego at this point. So uh, it's fun. It's fun seeing everything get going. It's fun watching the overreactions. It's fun people overreact to the overreactions, (laughs) and uh, everything's just meta these days due to social media.
1: I was going to say that is exactly right. Everyone is on the same playing field, a clean slate, but unfortunately there has already been a couple of games played. So fans who are very pessimistic might have already thrown in the towel, even though we're only a couple games in. Before we get into that, I wanted to turn back the clocks a little bit and just talk about some of the things you're doing I wanted to start by getting to know how one goes from a political science and government degree to writing about baseball.
0: <laughs> uh, you know when I first went to college, uh, I wanted to well, I wanted to be a baseball player, uh, but I wasn't good enough there. So I also my other option was I wanted to be a lawyer. but uh, then I just didn't like studying as much as I did talking about baseball and watching baseball. So, I got a job selling insurance out of school and uh, still kind of heart wasn't in it a lot of the time. And I was going to go back. I did go back and get my teaching degree saying if I can teach, then I can coach baseball. And it was, I figured that that's a good career path Teaching's a good gig, you get the summers off and I'd be getting again to coach baseball. So that was going to be the path. But then we had my daughter, and, uh, kind of some of the nights where I would stay up with my daughter and let my wife try to sleep, I would be holding her and reading internet articles. And I just kept thinking, like, I, I think I could do this. I really do. And, uh, it wasn't because I thought I was better than anybody else. I just kind of thought, I think this is where my head is. And I always sent these big, long emails to my dad and brother talking about the Cubs. So we we're all Cubs fans. And, uh, I started a blog. Ended up, there was a, I'm sure you've heard of Matthew Barry, the ESPN fantasy guy at this point. He had a contest on his old site, com. One of my friends said, hey, what about that? So I entered the contest, I ended up coming in second, they hired me anyway. And from there, it was just contacts I made there. And then, oh, here's a job at AOL Fan House, and they got bought out. But I knew some people at CBS at this point. so. Everything just kind of snowballed. It was a lot of right place, right time, a lot of hard work. When you start out, it was basically no money for talented which I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying when I got hired on to, to write articles, that was the deal. They, they couldn't pay us. So, uh, you know, a, a big amalgamation of a lot of different things there.
1: Was there ever a low point during the process? I'm sure when you first got started, there were probably a lot of late nights, a lot of lengthy articles, maybe not necessarily getting the views you would like to see or the comments that you might have liked to see. Was it a little bit of a struggle just to get wrapped up into that world until you were able to get some writing under your belt and really move forward with that?
0: Yeah, there's definitely times where people yelled at me about something and uh, like comment sections, or, which by the way, I don't read anymore. It's just not worth it. But at the time, it's, oh, wait, somebody commented and you want to go read, and somebody just obliterates you. That sucks. And I don't care. You could be the most confident person in the world, but when somebody tells you you're awful because of this, this, and this, it, 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 I think it has to hurt everybody at least a little bit. Um, in terms of specifics, there, I, I don't think there was any one insult. I mean, anytime that somebody comes after me, and actually, did make a mistake that gets to me, but it's not because of what they said. It's because I, I, you should, I should be better than that. And it doesn't happen nearly as much anymore. But when you're first getting into it, assigned a to try to cover, you know, who are these uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers the fantasy guys for this week? I don't know anything about them, so I'm trying to hustle and do my homework, and then maybe make a mistake on that guy. Uh, that did happen some at first, for sure. Um, like I said. Every once in a while now, I kind of make an error like that, and somebody points it out to me on Twitter, and I feel like an idiot and think, how does that happen? But we're all human. Um, I don't think I have one specific low point like that, though.
1: You've been lucky enough now as the baseball writer for CBS Sports to have covered the last six World Series, and I guess it goes without saying that your favorite probably just happened. (laughs) Yes. I think
0: it would be everybody's regardless of if, I mean, it's, it's the Cubs winning after a years. It was, they're down 31 that came back. Game seven was an unbelievable game. I know it wasn't the most crisp game ever played, but at that point doesn't matter. All the teams are tired and on their last legs. It's, give us drama. And that was when we're all standing in the hall, a bunch of riders and I waiting to get in the Cubs clubhouse. I, I brought up like, do you think you could spend that as the best baseball game of all time? If you put it in the perspective of it has to be a game seven, the world series, first of all, then you start thinking of, okay, Mazeroski home run twins, Braves, when it was Morris versus Smoltz, uh, the Indians, Marlins, that went to extra innings, the diamondbacks, Yankees in 2001. Uh, and I would also, you could probably put up that Royals giants game that was ended with Alice Gordon, 90 feet away. None of those had the Cubs drought versus the Indians drought. Uh, so I think you could have made the argument from that perspective that it was and to be lucky enough to be there and to be lucky enough to have a family full of Cubs fans and to be one myself. And I'm not ashamed to say it. I know a lot of people say you're supposed to be unbiased, but none of my bosses have ever told me that. So I wrote a piece about how I was a Cubs fan and what it was like to go through that uh, after that. And that was one of my favorite things that I've ever written. So yes, that was my favorite one. Before that, I would actually say, this will sound funny coming from a Cubs fan, I would say 2011, from the perspective that, that, number one, it was my first one ever. I basically was getting chilled before every single game. And then game six that the Cardinals won, there were like three different amazing comeback plays in that. Uh, That was a great series. So that was my favorite up until last year. And uh, I kind of had a moment. You can talk about a low point other than the Cubs winning World Series and getting be there. My high point before that was after game six in St. Louis, I was walking back to my hotel and people were still outside just going crazy. And I kind of looked up at the sky and said, like, you got to be kidding me. How is this my job? So uh, that that was easily the high point of my first five years.
1: Did you get to maybe sneak your family into that World Series? I'm guessing they were a little bit no. jealous you got to go to that.
0: No, I I tried. It, Every every single little connection I had from my dad and brother, they went to Chicago. They stayed with me in my hotel room that I uh, that I had. Um, and on that Saturday, it was Game Four. They tried everything they could to get tickets, and I was trying to pull strings and do everything. But at the end of the day, if we had that much power, everybody would be trying to get all their family members in there. So uh, they ended up on a rooftop that was behind the rooftops that can actually see. But they were close, so it wasn't that bad.
1: And from what I saw, you can hear everything that was important. So I'm sure they had, and you as well, probably the times of your lives just as baseball fans, because that was an incredible moment, not only for Cubs fans, but for baseball as well. I know you're also a member of the baseball writers association. So I have to ask like most people do to writers that get to vote on the hall of fame. Do you have any hot hall of fame takes people that should be in people that shouldn't what's, what's going on in the world of the hall of fame voters?
0: Uh, I don't have a vote yet. Uh, If they stick to the 10 year rule, I've got eight more to go, but uh, I'm a big, big hall guy more than a small hall guy. So like, Why I look right now, it's the pitching. Like I'm big on Mussina and Schilling, and I've actually written an article that there's an entire generation of pitchers not getting their due. If you go through every other decade, you have like the top 10 to 12 pitchers for the generation in the Hall of Fame, and this one right now has like six or seven. And there's nobody else other than Roy Halladay coming around that's going to be an obvious one like Greg Maddox and Randy Johnson were obvious obvious ones. Your next two guys are Mussina and Schilling. So I absolutely think they should be in. They're getting penalized by how much of an offensive era it was, but they put up great numbers despite that offensive era, so I'm big on those guys, and uh, my rule on the PED thing is, has been and always will be, if you got busted while there was testing in place, you are trying to skirt the system, so I'm a no-go on that. So I'm going to be a no on A-Rod. I think I might change my mind on him, because he was so much better than everybody else, but like, Maynard Ramirez is going to be a no for me forever. Um, Ryan Braun will be a no for me, even if he gets to the point where his numbers are in. But I'm big time, yes, on Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. And, uh, you know, I actually think Sammy Sosa and Gary Sheffield deserve better consideration as well. Their numbers are there offensively. And I know a lot of people use sabermetrics at this point to discount Sosa's case. But, I mean, I don't know how old you are. But from 98 to 2004... Sammy Sosa was one of the biggest superstars in the world in terms of playing baseball. And I I can't just discount that based upon that I didn't like his defensive metrics or that his peak wasn't long enough. He hit over 600 home runs and people act like he's a joke of a candidate. I'm not there on that one
1: right I was eight years old and if it wasn't for being a Yankees fan getting to see them win the World Series the first year I really got into baseball the McGuire Sosa home run chase was definitely a highlight for me as I'm sure it was for a lot of baseball fans just it was much seat TV, is what it was and it really brought baseball back and it's going to be interesting for you as well along with a lot of younger writers per se that are going to have the opportunity to vote because it seems like that newer guard is going to take a different direction when it comes to having to decide the PED guys, the guys that may have been going under the radar when they should get more notice. I think we're going to be in for a lot of interesting discussion in the next couple years especially now that votes are getting put out there and people aren't afraid to step on a platform and say, hey, this is why I voted for this guy. If Barry Bonds didn't talk to you because you weren't very nice to him or he just wasn't a very nice guy, the man could hit. So I'm putting him in. So it's definitely yeah, going to be I, I, Yeah,
0: I don't care if anybody's ever been mean to me. I'm, I am I can think of one particular guy who's per- really, really rude to me. I'm not going to say it and I never will say it because I don't think that matters. They, they should be nice to us, but it's not part of their job description. I mean, it's it's a basic human principle. I think you should be be nice to people. But I'm not going to not give you a hall of fame vote because you were mean to me and my feelings got hurt. That's ridiculous. So I'm not going to be one of those guys, no matter what. And I do think, in terms of what you said with the new guard, it's already starting to turn. You can see Bonds and Clemens' vote totals already starting to come up. I don't know if they're going to have enough years on the ballot now that the ten uh, there's a ten year limit instead of fifteen. I think it's going to be close. I think in the ninth or 10th year, they're going to be really close. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes with those two.
1: When it comes to writing for CBS Sports, and specifically with the MLB, what's your typical day like as far as that goes? Are you looking for the trending stories, or what interests you, or is it a little bit of both throughout the day-to-day life?
0: Oh, it's a mix. Like, if something is trending, we absolutely have to get it. Um, But, you know, in terms of analysis, am i am i seeing anything that i want to write about and um you just kind of go from there like sometimes you see things during the course of the day and it makes you think of something sometimes uh my boss always calls it treadmill ideas i somehow when i'm right on the treadmill i think of stuff and now like right when i get off i run over and try to write it down like hey i got another treadmill idea uh so sometimes like that we you know we have weekly features i do the power rankings uh, towards the end of the year, we'll do, like, the awards watches, how's the MVP race looking, stuff like that. Um, it's a mix. You you, know, you want to hit on the SEO. You want to hit on trending topics. But you also want to write things that are original that other people are not doing and that people will find interesting.
1: So getting into baseball, starting a little bit bigger picture, a lot has been made in recent years about pace of play and trying to make the game more exciting are you okay as maybe a little bit younger of a fan with the state of the game? Or is there something that you think could be implemented that would help it?
0: I am generally though, man, during the Cubs, Dodgers, NLCS, it got ridiculous. Some of those games were over four hours and they were nine inning games, even when they weren't that high scoring. And one thing I noticed in person, I don't think you notice on TV because they go to like ads or different spots when they're not in commercial is in the, what was it? The, Eighth inning of game one, Cubs Dodgers when Montero hit the grand slam. I think I believe it was the eighth. Uh, The Dodgers went to the mound every single batter, every single batter, and that's a bit excessive to me. I mean, you got to know your game plans. I know it's important, but every single hitter, I'm not seeing that. I think that uh, you can start to limit the number of catcher visits. I know it's not like manager visits, but there, there there can be some kind of limit on that. Also. I'm okay with a pitch clock. And Pedro Baez taking 35 seconds to throw a pitch is ridiculous. I don't care if it's 16 like the rule says or if they up it to 20. But I think that it would be one of those things where a lot of people kicked and screamed at first, but then once you get used to it, nobody would even notice it because nobody would violate it anymore. Um, other than that, like you know, the intentional walk in, I don't care. I, I thought it was kind of cool last night when Pujols just got intentionally walked in and he just ran to first uh, without even any pitches being thrown. I don't think anybody's going to miss those here in about two or three months. Um, it, mostly though, it's the time between pitches, and that's why I think if it's, if you get the pitch clock and you tell the hitters you don't get to stay outside the box and do the Nomar Garcia para or David or or David Ortiz. Uh, little routine there where you make everybody look at you and act like you actually have to do that routine. Um, Those are the little things where they can make it start to get back to when the game took 2 hours and 45 minutes instead of 3 hours and 15 minutes.
1: The World Baseball Classic obviously was this year as well. Did you see... Any correlation to some of the things that we've seen from other fan groups as far as the chance they do, how much fun not only the fans have, but the players from other countries are able to have during the game? We don't necessarily always get to see that passion when we're watching games. Is there something that maybe that could help bring over to American baseball and, and maybe make things a little bit more fun, not only for the players, though that's going to take a lot longer, but for the fans, especially the younger generation?
0: I, I wouldn't mind it at all. There, there's a few caveats. Like First of all, I don't think it's possible to maintain that kind of enthusiasm through 81 home games for any team's fan base i just don't see that as being possible this is kind of a special event especially those countries who are trying to knock off america and baseball is their their country's favorite sport you can see that it's very special there and i'm not sure that we could keep that up over 81 games over here however uh i would love to see more of it i just wouldn't want people to to contrive like be you you, you be you and if anybody else doesn't like it, that's on them is more my, my saying like, if you want to be a, a stoic, let's say Matt holiday who never shows emotion on the field, that's fine. Do that. I don't think anybody should call you boring or call you names for that because that's not your personality. On the other hand, if you want to be like Javier bias, be like Javier bias, just be yourself. I, I, I'm tired of everybody trying to police and act like the other, everybody else has to act like how you want to want them to act. Now showing up, I I understand that you might think a guy's showing you up, but unless he's staring you down, if he's just being genuinely happy, to me, that's fine. Unless he's yelling at you and staring you down, okay, well, then that's a problem. But in terms of, oh, he watched it too long, give me a break, pitcher. You don't want to see him watch a home run? Don't give one up.
1: Continuing with the fun stuff, you recently ran down the best new and wild ballpark food items at MLB stadiums for 2017 hashtag food porn for everyone at home that might have read the article i want to know some of the delicacies that maybe we should take a road trip to and try to track down for this season
0: uh i thought that i can't remember all their names because there were so many uh but arizona and texas were particularly strong and, and texas had that uh most valuable tamale that was like two feet long now if you have like three or four people that's fine. It's 27 bucks, but it's like an extra gigantic tamale with a boomstick hot dog on it, which they originally named for Nelson Cruz. It's 24 inches long. And then they made that into a tamale. It looks as long as you split it up, that'd be really good. Uh, Arizona had several things that were really, really good looking. I think Cleveland was pretty strong. Uh, again, it's tough to, to remember. I I threw like, I think I had 30 different pictures on there, but, uh, Oh, and how about just, going the extra step, but still keeping it simple. The Dodgers, they made the, Do- you know, they're famous for the Dodger dog. They made a Dodger burger where they put a hot dog on top of the burger. So you get kind of both there. I know you obviously want to work out the next day and not go nuts at your other meal, but Hey, to try it once, I'd be good with that.
1: Make baseball fun again. They're trying, we're Absolutely. getting there. And you also, speaking of that, Ranked the best giveaways and promotions the teams are offering this year. Do any of those highlights stand out from that list that you made?
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, Number one, the King Griffey Jr. replica statue in Safeco Field when they're doing the Junior Hall of Fame ceremonies. That's a really, really good one. That's one that you can only get in specific years, obviously. Kind of like the Cubs giving away the replica World Series trophy and he's giving away a replica AL trophy. But then there's a lot of teams, like the Rays and A's are always really good with coming up with stuff, and I think it makes sense because they're trying to get more people to the park. But uh, the the A's are having a Game of Thrones night, which I'm a diehard fan, so I don't care what it even involves. They haven't released any other details yet, but that was good enough to take number two on the list. Uh, The Rangers have like Adrian Beltre dancing legs bobble, so it's the legs dancing but not a head bobbling. I was like, there's a lot of just a normal bobblehead is is still good, but anymore they're, they're doing a lot more creative ones like that
1: to talk brass tasks. Now, I guess we should get into the actual play on the field for 2017 last year. Not only were you able to celebrate the Cubs winning as a fan, but you could celebrate because you had correctly predicted them to win the world series. So the pressure might be on a little bit to repeat that, this season, you've predicted a rematch of last year's World Series, seven games, but it had to hurt you just a little bit that instead of picking the Cubs, you went with the Indians. What made you go with that decision?
0: Uh, I mean, it, it's once you get to the playoffs, it's a crapshoot. I just thought it'd be cool to see a rematch and see it go seven, and then I, it would be cool for Indians fans to get a feel what Cubs fans felt. Uh, in terms of like analytically breaking it down, I'm... I, last year, I picked the Cubs because I thought they were the best team, and I really wanted to be right there. They wanted, and I actually genuinely thought they would. This year, I won't be surprised if they do again. I won't be surprised if they lose. Uh, but again, just it was kind of to mix it up. It was kind of if the Indians get there with a healthy rotation and a healthy Michael Brantley, they're a lot better this time around. So I, I kind of thought maybe the, everything would kind of come together for the Indians this year. But really, I mean, it, the Indians could get knocked out in the first round by the Red Sox, just kind of opposite of what happened last year. So it's, once you get to the playoffs, it's a crapshoot.
1: You have to be a little bit happy as a Cubs fan to have been able to say the sentence, if they win again this year, it wouldn't surprise me.
0: <laughs>
1: There's a lot of Yo, people it, that yeah, have it, never said that before.
0: It, it's it's interesting that how much has changed. I mean, I've seen people saying like, oh, you guys probably lost your identity and the worst day of your lives was four days later when you woke up to the World Series. like, no, 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 no. Nothing could be further from the truth. That was the happiest moment I've ever had as a sports fan, and it will never be matched. If anything, I'm way more chill now. Like my wife was pointing out Sunday night, I yelled at the TV zero times. If that was last year, I would have yelled at least 15 times. (laughs) It's different now. I still want them to win, and I was still, after Contreras hit the home run, I was pumped, and then I was pretty disappointed when they lost. And thought, man, they missed a lot of opportunities. But then the other thing I was saying is, eh, it's one game, and they just won the World Series. And uh, it's the first time we've been able to do that. So it's it's new, and it's, frankly, pretty nice. <laughs> I'm going to have a lot less stress during the season, I'll tell you that.
1: Regarding that game, don't you think that maybe Rob Manfred could have put that game at Wrigley Field? I know they do the scheduling in September, and they don't know who's going to win the World Series, but they really only have to wait maybe six weeks to just not release the schedule and wait to see who wins I think that would have been a great opener on that Sunday. They love using that day in between the national championship to get the interest going a little bit before opening day. Cubs, Cardinals, Wrigley Field, defending champions, Dexter Fowler coming back home. If you want to even look at that different narrative that they would have, I think it would have been great. I I think they dropped the ball just a little bit.
0: I think it should always be the first game is at the home of the defending World Series champion and they get their rings. Like the Royals hosting the Mets last year doesn't necessarily have to be against their opponents from the world series, but the Royals hosting the Mets getting their rings that night on opening night, that's what it should be every single year. Um, So, you know, Cubs fans have to wait a few weeks, not that big of a deal. And uh, it it might've been raining that day. I know it was raining all day Monday, but I, I feel like the three days are fine. I would be, I would be more than happy if they got back to one game on Sunday make that the champions hosting Sunday night, and then have the Reds be the first game on Monday after their parade in Cincinnati as the tradition used to be, because that's the oldest team and then everybody else, the rest of opening day.
1: Aside from the Cubs and Indians, do you see any other surprise teams that could make a deep run, assuming that they stay healthy and play up to their potential for this year?
0: Uh, surprise. I probably would have said the Mariners two days ago, but Drew Smiley being down in the rotation. For he's on the 60-day DL right now. That really puts a damper on that. I don't think they're surprised, but the Astros could definitely, definitely do it. Again, not a surprise. Dodgers, Nationals are right there. Mets, with their staff stays healthy, are right there. Red Sox are obviously right there. Um, it's a surprise in the bad way. I don't like the Rangers at all. But uh, let's see who could make a run really. I'm not, I am not. would have said Rockies would have had a chance, but Ian Desmond's hurt already, David Dahl's her already. The Rockies and Mariners would have been my two answers there, but I'm just not as excited right now due to injuries for the season.
1: Is there a team that you think has the most pressure on it this year? A lot of the teams that you just mentioned that wouldn't be a surprise to make the playoffs— seem to always get there or put themselves in great position to make a run at the fall classic but end up falling short. And in recent years, we've seen a lot of familiar names, aside from last year, obviously. But in general, you see the Cardinals, the Giants, the Red Sox aren't a surprise anymore either. Is there pressure now mounting maybe for the Nationals, the Dodgers, teams like that that usually get there but can't really get over that? Yes,
0: those two in particular. I would say Dodgers, it's about put-up or shut-up time, man. I mean, you you you're on maybe toward the back end of Clayton Kershaw's prime, and you haven't gotten to a World Series. That's bad. Now, Seeger's really young. Jock's still really young. But overall, Adrian Gonzalez is not. I don't think he. I don't think you could consider con him in his prime anymore. Uh, how much longer is Justin Turner going to be in his pri, prime? Considering he was such a late bloomer, they got to get it done within one of these next two years. It's time to quit getting to only the NLCS. And then behind that, the Nationals. It's time to win a playoff series. You know, you sitting here b- between you got the Harper and Strasburg number one picks back-to-back. Now you go out and sign Scherzer, sign, sign Daniel Murphy, unbelievably talented roster overall, but they have never won a playoff series. So it's time to at least get to that NLCS and maybe even the World Series for them too.
1: I guess standing right behind them too, the New York Mets, with that rotation that we've still never seen come to fruition, and it's yeah. not looking good early on either this year
0: they're all still young enough and coming off Harvey's injury and uh, Matt's already being injured. I don't think it's nearly as bad. like n- maybe next year on the Mets. I might put them in the same area, but they just made that run to the world series. That was kind of surprising and they've got these guys still locked up. And again, you don't know what you're going to get out of Harvey coming off thoracic outlet syndrome. And you don't know if Matt's going to be healthy this year. Wheeler's going to be his first full season since Tommy John surgery. So Maybe give them another year, and then next year the pressure's way on.
1: Indians aside, in the American League, it seems like it's a little up in the air as far as what teams could make that run and get to the championship series. Like, whoever happens to do it, I don't think will be too much of a surprise the way things are going. Are there any teams that sort of stand out to you as ones that could have a pretty successful season that maybe we won't be talking too much about?
0: uh i think the rays are going to be better than most people think uh the twins are going to be fun to watch because of their young talent but they're not going to sniff the playoffs i i think maybe a lot of people are down on the orioles i actually saw several people pick them to fin- finish last place uh i know they won 89 games last year but i'm done betting against buck showalter his worst record since they his first year when they were bad is 81 and 81 and they have a great offense pretty good defense at several key positions I like Gossman and Bundy toward the top of that rotation. If Tillman's okay enough, that's a decent top three, and then their bullpen's great, and Buck's really good at knowing how to use them. So I think they're going to be better than a lot of people think. And again, given that the is a crapshoot, and maybe they, once they get there, they're one of those teams that gets hot. All likelihood, the odds are it's either the Red Sox or Indians with it trickling down to the Astros. But I, you could see the Orioles sneaking in there too. And I should have mentioned the Blue Jays. Blue Jays will probably be in the next two.
1: As both a writer and a fan, do you put a lot of onus into just watching certain players and their individual accomplishments? I know eyes will, of course, be on Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, Clayton Kershaw, Bumgarner, those usual list of guys just from what they're able to do as far as MVP races go or Cy Young's are you a fan of keeping track of those guys? Not only the teams that they might play for, though some of them aren't that great. Sorry, Mike Trout. Just the individual things that they're able to do, because in a way, if you do follow that, it can be pretty exciting.
0: Both. I mean, some of my favorite things about baseball, we saw yesterday, like Manny Machado's backhanded pick down on a knee at third base, and then the throw from his knee across the field, strong. That was outstanding. Uh, seeing Mike Trout hit a low line drive for a home run was ridiculous. It's just fun to see those types of superstars get back and do their thing. But then you also respect the teams that are great top to bottom. and might not necessarily have a superstar like that. So it's, I just like watching and enjoying. And uh you know, if you're talking about Kershaw when he's 100% locked in, it's just an absolute thing of beauty. If you're talking about like Bumgarner when he's locked into the class, it's an absolute thing of beauty. But I tell you what, man, no kindergarten slider 92 last year and this year, but it's just uh, that kind of thing is just silly to watch and, and fun.
1: There's a lot of fun things going on in baseball and definitely plenty for you to have to watch. And it was a pleasure getting to talk to you and, and get a little bit more amped up for the baseball season. People need to realize that baseball can be incredibly exciting and especially for somebody that gets to cover it. So thanks again, Matt, for coming on and breaking down some things for us, letting us know what we should expect to see this year. And if we just want to go for the food and the free promotions, we can do that as well. So continued success. With what you're up to and keeping us informed on what's going on with baseball and hopefully it'll be another exciting season for us and as a Cubs fan yourself I'm sure you wouldn't mind seeing them make a great run again hey
0: thanks for having me and uh, take care
1: We'll close out the show with a brand new segment to The Bridge called Fresh Produce. Here we'll chat with the fictitious producer of The Bridge, Mr. Eddie Ocasio, about the trending topics of the sports world. Not to say that that segment will get him to actually listen to the show, but we'll try our best anyway. Since Eddie is a lifelong Cowboys fan, who better than to talk about the life and times of CBS and Jim Nance? Newest broadcast partner, Tony Romo. We now bring in Eddie for this week's edition of Fresh Produce. Hello. How you doing, sir? Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's a pleasure. As... You loyal listeners of The Bridge know Eddie Ocasio is the fictitious producer of The Bridge and has held that prestigious title for many years now, it seems. He is also a diehard Dallas Cowboys fan and has spent most of his fandom with Tony Romo as his quarterback, to quote Terrell Owens. So when this news broke, you were one of the first people I thought of, and I wanted to get your thoughts on your immediate reaction when you found out that Tony Romo was indeed retiring from the NFL.
2: I would say that I was shocked. The breaking news was that the Dallas Cowboys had cut Romo and that he was intending to go into broadcasting but still not certain. And so I was still a little afraid, like, oh, maybe he would sign with, another team in the next few days. And then I processed that and I was a little sad because I was like, this is the end of an era for Cowboys fans and for fans of Tony Romo. If those do exist, he's the most, polarizing quarterback probably in Dallas Cowboys history.
1: One of the most overrated and underrated at the same time quarterbacks probably in NFL history. I know you read a lot of Cowboys magazines and news articles and follow a lot of the beat writers on Twitter. Did you get a sense that this was coming or any sense at all on what his future might be starting with when it was announced that he was probably going to be released by Dallas and then he wasn't. And then this all of a sudden came up
2: at the beginning of free agency. You know, everybody was saying that oh, he might be traded to Denver, he might be traded to Houston, maybe the Jets are in play. So they, were, a lot of the guys that I follow, were saying that oh, maybe he'll be with another team and and hope hopefully can be traded. Then somebody came out with well, he's considering going into broadcasting, and the the sources were all saying oh, he had offers from. Fox and cbs my question this morning was but what about phil sims doesn't phil have a family and kids and romo's just gonna walk in and take this guy's job Phil, he hasn't announced that he's leaving.
1: so on the face of being a dallas cowboys fan just to get started with a discussion for tony romo What has he meant to you as a fan of the Cowboys? A lot can be said about his career, whether or not it's viewed as successful, whether or not he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. But just having him be the focal point of the franchise for so long, what does Tony Romo mean to you as a Dallas Cowboys fan?
2: For me personally, I've never been a Romo apologist. I've always been a Romo supporter, so I, you know, when he dropped a snap in Seattle, I didn't go out of my way to say, well, he's the reason that they lost. When they lost against Green Bay, I didn't go out of my way to say, well, he's the reason that they lost, although that was more of a ref thing. But I've always been on Romo's side, and uh, at times it's torn my family apart because my dad is a more emotional Dallas Cowboys fan, and he's very quick, to point the finger at Romo like many other fans are. But I, I kind of viewed it as like, well, he's all I've ever really known as a successful quarterback. I started watching the Cowboys, like my first real season that I could remember, their quarterback was Vinny Testaverde. That's the name. And after that, it was Drew Bledsoe. And I was maybe 14, 15 at the time. And then along came this like unknown, really relatable guy, Romo played through every injury and criticism and uncertainty. And so for me, I think he's meant a lot. He's like the hero kind of of that group and the leader of that group. And he's played with some really awful defenses and Marion Barber as a running back for God knows why. And so he's really been the reason that I think the Cowboys have been successful in the last 10 years, and I think that he'll probably be the reason that they are successful in the next couple years if Prescott turns out to be what he is. I think Romo kind of taking the knee, to use a football metaphor, and saying he didn't want to play again and he was going to let Dak be the starter last season, he really turned the keys over to Dak and Elliott and all the guys on the team now and kind of let them come into their own. and become what they are or hopefully what we think they will be in the coming seasons.
1: How much easier does having the players that you've seen grow this past season as far as Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott are concerned? I did try to bridge the gap a couple of weeks ago from going from Vinny Testaverde to Tony Romo, and it was a pretty sad bridge to try and put together the Cowboys quarterbacks in between them. Romo has really been that backbone for so long, but we did see last year that that torch was passed, and it was passed to younger players that proved to be worthy of having it passed too. How much does that help where he's not leaving this big hole? There's at least a plan in place that hopefully will become fulfilled in the next several years to come.
2: I think it helps a lot. And I, I'm not a football player. We make no secret of that. And I'm not in the locker room, obviously, but I feel like when I watch the games and I I hear them talk about, you know, I hear Elliot talk about Dak or I hear these guys talk about each other. I think that everybody looks at Prescott as like, he's the leader because Romo has decided that that's going to be the next guy because Tony had confidence in Dak. And so Everybody else has confidence in Dak, right? And you've got that still veteran leadership at the top. If you want to say Des Bryant is a veteran now, seven years in, he's a guy who looks like he trusts Prescott and works well with him. Dak Prescott's also got Jason Witten on his side. And so I think it helps that there's a successor that had been appointed and got to work a little bit with Romo while he was healing, and now – Romo's out of the picture, and this is Dak's team, and those guys who followed Romo are going to follow Dak, and hopefully next year and in the coming years, Dak will continue to develop under the same coaches that worked with Tony to make him what he was.
1: Is there a game or maybe even a season or a playoff moment that you'll remember most from the Tony Romo era with the Dallas Cowboys?
2: This is a tough question because there's so many weird memories that I have I wanted to focus on on positive ones. My first ever memory of Tony Romo was I had some one-off year Madden, an old one, and I was playing the, like, my career mode where you made a player, and obviously I made myself on the Dallas Cowboys a quarterback. And, like, my player, like, just the whatever dummy they created was already, like, one point overall better than – some random guy on the roster named T Romo. And so I remember being like, who is this guy? And then like that season was when he burst onto the scene. So I always think of that as like a weird, like, wow, he was in Madden. And I didn't even know who he was. One of my other kind of favorite memories that involves Tony Romo, but is not necessarily directly related to Tony Romo was last season. He was hurt and they projected that his return would be against the Miami Dolphins. So I was eagerly awaiting his return against the Miami Dolphins, as all Cowboys fans were, hoping that he would come back and the Cowboys would win their last six games and make a wild card, blah, blah, blah. And so I'm a teacher, and the school that I worked at had offered to take a field trip, take the kids on a trip to see the musical Hamilton. Yes, that Hamilton. They said because I was a chaperone, my ticket would be free. I had no idea what Hamilton was, and I had no idea that it was the hottest musical on Broadway and that the tickets were selling for thousands of dollars. And so I said to my boss, Oh, no, sorry, I'm busy Sunday. i got to watch Tony Romo return against the Miami Dolphins. And I didn't go to the musical. So I I felt really dumb Uh, They won the game But I I felt really dumb After I found out what happened Like I knew who the guy was I didn't know what the show was about
1: Let it also be known to the listeners That Eddie is a History major At his craft of being a teacher So maybe you should have Put two and two together for that That it could have been a historical (laughs) type of play For you to see
2: it's also a really embarrassing story to tell people because every time they're like, you you had a ticket to, to see Hamilton and you did what? Yeah, I, I I watched Tony Romo beat the three and ten Miami Dolphins. Wait,
1: were, were you at the game? No. <laughs> oh, no,
2: the game was in Miami. I just watched it on TV. But in terms of his actual play, I kind of broke it down into the, there's the gritty Robo and then there's the like, wow, did that guy really just do that? And so for the gritty Romo, I would say, I remember the the broken rib game against the 49ers that they came down and they won in overtime. He threw like a 74 yard slant to Jesse Holly, who I follow on Twitter. There's the other Giants game when they were eight and eight and they didn't make it into the playoffs because they lost in week 17. He broke his hand when he was following through on he hit somebody's helmet. And he broke the hand and was still playing in the game. They eventually lost the game, but he stayed in the entire time. And I was like, wow, this guy is is something else. So those are the the gritty Romo moments. And then the amazing, like, athleticism. I always think about the snap over his head when they played against the Rams in the old Cowboys Texas Stadium. And he ended up picking up the ball at, like, the 20-yard line and running for a first down after he was like 30 yards behind the line of scrimmage. That was insane. I remember watching my game that game with my dad. That was really cool.
1: It's funny about Romo because I mentioned earlier he's one of the most overrated and underrated at the same time quarterbacks that we've seen in the NFL because he was undrafted. Nobody really knew who he was coming into the NFL there were really no expectations for him because it's not like he had to fill in the footsteps of Troy Aikman when he played as a Dallas Cowboys quarterback. Nobody would have even made that comparison. So for him to be able to do what he's done throughout his career just on its face is remarkable in itself. But I made this sort of comparison today where if you could have one word for Romo, I chose the word almost because everything that he's done, while as incredibly successful as he's been, he's never been able to get over that hump to get to the ultimate goal of a Super Bowl championship. There was the almost snap in the Seattle game, as we remember, where he almost was able to run it in. There was the almost Des Bryant catch. There's been the almost seasons where his defense wasn't quite there. There's been the almost seasons where he was injured. So there's these different things that he's had to deal with where if something just goes a different way, we might view him differently, though maybe we should not. Taking a step back, what do you think his legacy will be as a Dallas Cowboy, both in the NFL scheme of things, but more specifically, just as a fan, when maybe 10 or 15 years down the road, he might make the ring of honor or be honored, as he probably should be for the Dallas Cowboys.
2: I think with Romo, in terms of the Cowboys, he'll definitely be a ring of honor, and I think he'll be remembered and beloved now, especially because he didn't play for another team or tried to come back and spite the Cowboys. I think he's going to move into the booth and have nothing but great things to say and just be that kind of smiley, charming Romo, that like young gunslinger again, but on TV. So I think he'll win over all the like salty, old angry Cowboys fans for a guy who was undrafted. He leads the Dallas Cowboys in every statistical category He's the club leader in everything for a club that had Troy Aikman and Roger Staubach. So that's pretty amazing. Unfortunately, I think Tony is a a perennial member of the Hall of Very Good. I don't know if he ever really gets to the Hall of Fame. Being on the Dallas Cowboys, I think, puts him over a little, but the postseason success might hold him back from that golden jacket. But I think Tony should be remembered in a in a positive light as a football player. He was a guy that really, like I said, he electrified a decade for Cowboys fans. And, you know, he lost about three seasons of his playing career sitting, holding a clipboard behind guys like Testaverde and Bledsoe, and he only came in when Bledsoe was injured. I'm not saying he would have been as amazing as he was from day one. He was obviously a work in process, but ourselves saw something in him, and it would be interesting if we could go back in time and maybe start him under center a bit earlier and see if they do get a bit better in the playoffs, or if something goes their way, like the Dez catch, or if he doesn't go to Cabo, maybe they do win that playoff game against the Giants and go to the Super Bowl. So I think that Cowboys fans will remember, like, oh man, we were really, really close Unfortunately, Tony's memory and legacy is tied to the success of Dak Prescott and Jason Garrett now, right? If the Cowboys make some noise next season or the year after or win the whole thing, people will be like, wow, that was... Romo started it and Dak ended it, and I mean, I personally would love to see that. I think that people should be Romo supporters. I don't want to hear that tired old Cowboys fan kind of like, oh, man, but he never did anything for us, because... Tony did a lot for this team.
1: I think he's going to surprise a lot of people now in his new line of work in the booth, not only just being a quarterback a position that tends to know tons of things that happen on the field, but just because of the work that he put into his craft, I'm sure he's going to do the exact same thing now in broadcasting. I'm sure that's been weighing on his mind. If it was something he could handle because this was obviously not an easy decision for him to make. The main question is, are we going to miss Phil Sims? Probably not.
2: Probably not. Although I do feel bad for Sims because Phil Sims is kind of getting bledso'ed or Romoed in a way. He's got somebody just coming up from behind him and stealing his job.
1: Well, as a Cowboys fan, last year probably eased everyone with the transition of a new quarterback. Everyone knew this day would eventually come as it does with every NFL player, father time remains undefeated, but it was nice today to get to look back at Tony Romo's career. I don't think a lot of people could poo-poo the fact that if he was their quarterback, they would not enjoy having the opportunity to have a successful season year in and year out, which is exactly what he did with Dallas. Things didn't necessarily go as perfectly as they could have, but it was definitely a fun run to watch, and I'm sure it was as well for many Cowboys fans, so at least he will be remembered in a good light, and he won't be too far away from us since we'll get to see him every Sunday as well.
2: I'm looking forward to seeing him on Sundays. I think it'll make that broadcasting team a little bit more watchable, exciting, entertaining, but my thoughts and prayers go out to Phil.
1: Well, thank you for joining the show, as always, sir. Your producer work never goes unnoticed, as I'm sure it does not with the listeners as well. The heartbeat of your involvement of the show can always be felt in the 55 minutes we put together each week.
2: Well, happy to move from behind the glass to behind the microphone. Thanks for having me on, sir.
1: Quick break. We're back. Do we hit on everything?
2: I think we got everything.
1: That's going to do it for the bridge. You can listen to this show and all previous shows over on my website at londonbridge.com. That's L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. You can also follow me on Twitter under that same handle at London Bridge. You can find The Bridge on iTunes by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast. There you'll find the newest episodes of The Bridge every Friday night or right to your phone when they go live. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show. In the next installment of The Bridge, we'll dive into some Major League Baseball once again, take a look around the NBA, and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve. On The Bridge keeping you connected with all things sports.